In this episode of An Extra Helping for Management, I'll talk a little bit more about how we calculate tax base, tax rate, as well as any other budgeting pieces that we need regarding community parks and recreation. Looking at our readings that we have for class, when we talk about tax base, what we're talking about is the value, the taxable value, of all the assessed property within a particular area. So for our community of Cedar Falls, it could be within the city of Cedar Falls, it could also be Blackhawk County. So what we do is we take, say for example we're talking about Cedar Falls, we take and understand via the assessment what the value is of all commercial and residential real estate or real property. That is subject to property taxes. So there is an assessor, as we highlighted last time, that talks about, I'm sorry, the assessor goes and assesses the property, keeping in mind that for assessing property, the assessor is looking at the taxable worth of the property, not what a person thinks the property is worth in their mind. Once the assessor identifies the assessed value of the property in a given area or jurisdiction, as it says within our readings, the tax base is then calculated by adding all of that assessed property together. As we highlighted in class last time, there is going to be a figure for tax base that's going to be potentially in the hundreds of millions. Right? So keeping in mind, what we're talking about is assessed property, and that property that's assessed is the property that is subject to pro real property taxes. So commercial real estate, residential real estate. Examples include things such as residential homes, businesses, anything that a property owner would pay real property taxes on goes into the assessed value of all the property. Or, to restate it simply, Anything that a property owner pays real property taxes on is a part of the tax base. All right. As we look at calculating the tax base, we want to make sure that it's an overall understanding of what's in a jurisdiction, such as the Blackhawk County, to use our community. Now, how do we calculate the tax rate? The tax rate involves two numbers. The numerator is the projected budgetary needs or expenditures for a year and the denominator is the tax base. So the numerator will always be or should be less than the denominator. And remember our numerator is just the yearly projections or budgeted expenditures for the fiscal year. The tax base is the total value of all assessed property in a given area or jurisdiction. All right. What we do is we then divide the numerator, the local government's budget, by the denominator, which is the tax base. And that should give us our tax rate. If we look at the example given in page 20 of our readings, under letter A, there's an example discussing how to calculate the tax rate and you'll see the five million dollars divided by four hundred million dollars equals zero point zero one two five alright 
What that means is $5 million is the projected budget expenditures for that fiscal year for that jurisdiction or area. $400 million is the tax base for that area. And the tax rate is the 0 0.0125. And one of the things that we did in the middle of class last time is we talked about how the tax rate can go up or go down. And in our readings, we also see an explanation of this. The tax rate can go up if a local community increases its budgetary expenditures and the tax base remains the same. So in essence, the value of property in that area is staying the same, but the budgetary needs are going up. Uh, turn it around, and if the tax base goes up and the budget needs stay the same the tax rate will go down so what we're saying here is that if our budgetary expenditures for the fiscal year do not change but the value of all the property in a given area for tax purposes goes up then the tax rate goes down we want to see a good tax base a tax base that either stays the same or goes up and a t and budgetary needs that aren't too high. To reiterate a point from a previous class, the real property taxes that are brought in help facilitate many government entities or components of a local government. If we looked at the City of Cedar Falls website and you went to the finance section under their fiscal year 2017 brochure, you'd see a pie chart that talks about various government structures and agencies that are impacted by real property taxes. Examples included the Cedar Falls City Administrators, Police, Fire, School District, and then again with us it's Culture and Recreation. So Culture and Recreation includes things such as cemeteries, the library, the parks, the play areas, uh, areas and facilities that are managed by the Parks and Recreation Department. So the importance of that money generated from the tax rate on property taxes impacts our community parks and recreation as well as other government agency structures. And moving on to a different topic, when we talk about bonds, municipal bonds, or any type of bond, they're referred to as capital funding mechanisms. Capital funding mechanisms are funding mechanisms to help create or help support large one-time expenditures such as an addition to a parks and recreation facility, buying land to construct a new building, those kind of things are large one-time expenditures. As we see in our readings on page 32, bonds are defined as a promise by a borrower to pay back a lender over a specific amount of time as well as a specified amount of money. Now the repayment includes not only the principal, which is the amount of money the bond is for, but also a level of interest or a percentage of interest. You could do a bond campaign and be able to support your community parks and recreation agency. When we talk about these capital funding mechanisms, there are multiple sources of repayment that the government agency may be able to use. When we 
see this repayment occurring, there are two categories of bonds that we're going to talk about. One is what we call full faith and credit obligation bonds, and those are actually general obligation bonds. And then the second category is non-guaranteed debt funding mechanisms, and those, the specific category we'll talk about, are revenue bonds. Full faith and credit obligation funding mechanisms, which include general obligation bonds, are considered the safer bonds when looking at the two categories. So again, just as a reminder on page 33, there's two types of capital funding mechanisms. There's full faith and credit obligation funding mechanisms and non-guaranteed debt funding mechanisms. Full faith and credit obligation funding mechanisms include general obligation bonds, which is what we'll talk about for our class, and non-guaranteed debt funding mechanisms talk about revenue bonds, which is what we'll talk about for our class. Full faith and credit obligation funding mechanisms, inclusive of general obligation bonds, come with a lower level of interest, so a lower percentage of interest on the repayment, and the security that, that is tied to that lower level of interest is that the money used to repay the bond will come from tax dollars that have been generated within the community. Now, in order to do that, this type of bond requires voter approval. So via a city council meeting or a bond proposal meeting, the general public learns about the, the obligation bond and then through a vote actually gets to approve or turn down the general obligation bond from occurring. Now, the money that's used, like I said, comes from tax dollars that have been garnered by the community, by the government from the community. Since a general obligation bond is used to support parks and recreation and the repayment method is usage of government tax dollars after it's been approved by voters, there is what's called a statutory debt ceiling that's placed on the amount for the bond itself. And the statutory debt ceiling is connected to the assessed value of the government agency that's uh, affiliated with the bond. Statutory debt ceiling is a percentage of the total assessed value of property within a jurisdiction. So if a Parks and Recreation District and all of the facilities tied to it has an assessed value of $500 million, its statutory debt ceiling is a percentage of that $500 million. Sometimes statutory debt ceilings can be as high as 10%. In other cases, statutory debt ceilings are less than 10%. The reason why we have a statutory debt ceiling in place is so that the government agency itself does not borrow more money via a bond than it can repay back or it can manage. What we're doing is we're limiting the amount of tax dollars that are used in this project and making a reasonable request regarding how much money is needed for a capital funding campaign. It's a way of not letting, excuse me, it's a way of not letting the old phrase, our eyes overload our stomach if we're at the dinner table. We don't want to take more food than we can eat and then we leave it there and it goes bad. Analogously, we don't want to borrow more money than we're able to repay back because that's a bad financial situation as well. On the other side of the 
capital funding mechanism chart, we see non-guaranteed debt funding mechanisms, and revenue bonds are what we'll talk about with that. Non-guaranteed debt instruments or funding mechanisms have a few major advantages as highlighted in our readings. Voters do not need to approve if a non-guaranteed debt funding mechanism is used because the money used to repay that bond is not money from government taxes. Second, the bond amount itself does not count against a statutory debt ceiling. So again, there is no percentage for how much an organization can ask to borrow via a bond with a non-guaranteed debt funding mechanism. Now this is important, but also risky, because if an agency wants to borrow more than they can afford to pay back, they could be in trouble. Again, with this point, tax dollars are not used to repay, so there is no need for a statutory debt ceiling. Then lastly, or third, if there's revenue from the project that's being funded that builds up or accrues, then the people who use that project most directly pay or benefit from the facility itself. So if there's user fees that are being accumulated to repay the debt from the bond for a project, the people that are paying the user fees and use that facility daily are the direct beneficiaries of that bond. So that's something that's liked by the people who end up building whatever the project is. There is a component though associated with repayment that makes revenue bonds and non-guaranteed debt funding mechanisms a little trickier than full faith and credit obligation. Since the money that's being used is, gen is revenue generated from the organization, it's a little more risky because there's not the safety net of the tax dollars there from the community for repayment. So what usually happens is that with a revenue bond, the interest rate attached to repayment is higher than a government-supported full faith and credit obligation mechanism or a general obligation bond. To recap, if you have a revenue bond, they can be more challenging to sell or to attract investors for to use their money to build because of the risk associated with repayment. The interest rate is higher. The buy, the, the turnover though, the benefit is that revenue from the project can be that funding source I mean, that repays the bond. So organizations look at that and say, I'm not tax or I'm not straining a taxpayer who may not be using my facility, and the people that are benefiting are the ones who actually use my facility via revenue repayment.